Pastor Ed Taylor says good theology and a solid relationship with God will help you handle the next crisis that comes your way. Can I just say, church, that it's important that you be diligent to make sure your theology is straight, that you believe in the one true God, that you are here open and ready to receive what God has to say, because there will be a time in your life where your theology will be challenged by the circumstances of life. There will be a time where your belief will be put to the challenge. That's why I encourage you, take your relationship with God seriously. You just don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. If we were to look back at our lives, we could see peaks and valleys all over the place. Who could forget those good times, like our wedding day, graduation from high school, or, or getting our dream job? And then there are some unforgettable valleys. The death of a loved one, economic hardship, divorce. We all experience hard times, and when we do, we may have more questions than answers. Where do we go? What do we do next? We're about to take a look at the death and resurrection of Lazarus and learn a thing or two that will help us face the challenges of life as God would have us. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in John chapter 11 on Abounding Grace. One of the things that encourages me about this section is all the things that Jesus is saying here, the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. They just don't get it. Have you ever been there? where you're, you have, after the circumstances in your life, and even after you're reading through the scriptures and stuff, and you're looking like, man, I'm looking for wisdom, I'm looking for help. At the end, you have more questions than answers. That's where they're at right now. They just don't get it. If you've ever been in that place, then take comfort because the disciples are there too. They don't understand. They don't get it. Go to Judea. Are we going to die? He's asleep. He's dead. What's going on? There's a crisis, but you don't want to go. And it's overwhelming. But one of the things that I'm very encourages me is not only that they're confused and they're, they're just not quite seeing it, but secondly, they don't leave Jesus. Because earlier in John chapter 6, we saw that Jesus had some hard words, and what happened? Many of those that were following him left him to follow him no more. These are even harder words, harder circumstances. A friend, someone that Jesus loves, is in crisis. The family's in crisis. And Jesus is teaching them they don't get it, but they also don't run away. It all adds up to serious questions, more questions than answers, and just feeling like you're in the dark. You know, you think, man, if I was only there, you know, if I was only there with Peter and John right there with Jesus, I'd understand everything, but here, they, here these guys are right there with him, and they don't understand what's going on, and they've got access to the Son of God right in their presence. Because there's just some things in our lives that happen. You, may, you know, if you're in a place right now where you, you, you've lived a life and it's been pretty good, um, I, I'm happy for you. I'm, I'm very excited. I share in your joy. You know, you're looking at your life, you're 20 years old, you go, man, my life's been pretty good at 20. Or you're 30 or you're 40. You know, I've had a pretty good life. 
I know that there are, in, in the, the realm of what God has allowed us, we, many of us have had pretty good lives, but no life is going to avoid deep, searing pain and difficulties. So whether this is a word of God for you right now in the midst of what you're going through, or it's a word of God to prepare you for what's up ahead, there are going to be times in your life when you have more questions than you have answers. And it's, it's very humbling because you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and 30 years, and you're like, man, I should know this by now. No, no, no. No, you're learning. We're always learning. Man, I wish we could learn a different way, don't you? But there's some things that God would give to us that we will learn only through experience of his comfort. And, his, and here they are. They don't get it. They don't understand. I mean, Thomas, at the end here, let's just go die with him. You know, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Lazarus? Are you talking about Judea? What are you talking about, Jesus? I guess we'll just go and die with you. And Thomas is another one of those guys that gets a bad rap. You guys know Th Thomas as what? He is doubting, doubting Thomas. Stop that. Be nice to Martha and be nice to Thomas. Because I don't see him so much as doubting Thomas at all. I see him as one of those guys, and maybe you have friends like this, that just need more information. That's it. They just need more information. They're not as quick to make a decision as you are, but with more information, they'll make the decision. Now, now he was one of those guys that, that would look at something and want it to be laid out for him. He's one of those guys that would look at something and he'd say, you know, uh, I just don't know. Is that you, Lord? And then Jesus says, well, here, put your hands in, the, in my wounds, man. Stick your hand in my side. I'm like, okay, never mind. Never, I believe you, Jesus. I'm not putting my hand in the side. I don't need to do that. I get it. It's enough. And here he is. You know, he's like, well, let's go die with him. He, at least he speaks up. He's a little confused. He doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. But you know what he does here? He expresses his commitment. He's willing to die with Jesus. So, you know, I don't get it, what's going on right now. I don't even know what you're talking about, Lord, but let's go and die with him. Come on, guys, let's go. And to me, I'm very encouraged by that loyalty to him. I'm very encouraged by that commitment by him. Thomas has been used greatly to build all of our faith. And by the way, back in verse 11, when Jesus says our friend Lazarus sleeps, he is not speaking of a false doctrine that exists today known as soul sleep. That's not what he's saying at all. He's just simply using a metaphor to describe death. We know that because he says in verse 11 that he sleeps, and then in verse 14 he says he's dead. It's just a metaphor. And it does make sense in the metaphor that a body that's laid out without the soul and spirit does appear to be sleeping. That's, it's just a picture He's not inventing some false doctrine. Don't let somebody come to you to this passage of Scripture and say, see, even Jesus taught soul sleep. He didn't. It's very clear, as we read earlier, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Luke chapter 16, you have two individuals, the rich man and Lazarus, that after death are fully conscious and fully alive. We have in Revelation at the end, I forget the passage, where you have the tribulation saints at the throne room of God, alive in the presence of God, crying out, how long, O Lord, will you not avenge our blood on those that took it? You're alive after death. You are eternal beings. The only difference is where will you spend eternity? Will it be with the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood to forgive you of your sins, or will it be forever separated by God, from God because of the decision you've made to reject Jesus Christ and be unwilling to bow the knee and ask for forgiveness and live your life for the God that bought you? That's the difference here. Jesus isn't teaching soul sleep here. I think we've gone into it in depth, maybe in a study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're interested in that, or you know somebody, uh, like the Jehovah Witnesses might come to your door, or the the Seventh-day Adventists also teach this. It's false. It's not true. It's not biblical. Now, pick up where we left off in verse 17. So when Jesus came, so finally he arrives in Bethany, 
he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days, which tells us that his death was very close after the message was sent, during the delay. And many of the Jews that had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. We really cannot allow the depth of this text to be overlooked because it is just black letters on white paper. And we don't get the emotion and we don't get the, the weight of what is being shared by Martha here. One of the things to remember that it was customary uh, for a Jewish family to immediately bury their dead as soon, as close to death as possible. So usually the same day, if not the next day. And so they would immediately bury and begin a seven-day uh, fast and mourn. They would have a seven-day mourning period. The first three days were the worst of the worst. And anyone that's ever mourned a lost one, you could say those early days are very bad. And so in this time, there is a gathering of paid mourners. They would hire mourners. Because don't think of Bethany as this huge, large city like Denver. Think of a more of a small town, like maybe out in Watkins or Bennett or up in the mountains like Breckenridge. Just a small town where everybody knows one another. It's tight-knit. Everybody's in the same markets and stuff, and everybody knows what's going on, and they, they have these relationships with one another. And so the mourners, everybody would come together, and it was someone's job to come and weep and wail for the lost. They would join the family that would also be weeping and wailing and mourning. Very loud, very demonstrative. And while some people were hired, as I've shared before, the family members didn't need to be hired. They mourned and weeped for free. It came from the depth of their hearts. It came from the very being in their loss in their lives. It's in that time that Jesus shows up. In the midst of the weeping and the wailing and the mourning. It's in that time of, and I, I know that this, the, the words I hear in verse 21 are all those unanswered questions that we all have when we face a death. Why, Lord? Why now? Why her? Why not me? Why weren't you there? Where were you, Lord? What happened? All of those questions are summed up in, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I don't really think this speaks more than just disappointment, sorrow, sadness, and being able to ask those hard questions of the Lord. Deep disappointment is what I see here. You could have changed things, Lord. She's really trying to convey, she's really trying to convey the reality of the feeling that she has when she says, you know, God, where were you? Why weren't you here? But the reality is, is that God was there and God is there. God has a plan that he's working out. We don't quite understand it. I know that if we had control, we would change it, but then we'd mess it all up. God knows what he's doing. One of the first verses that was shared with me when my son went home to be with the Lord was in Psalm 139, where it speaks about our days being numbered. And that's a good, encouraging thing, that, that the loss of my son or my mom and my dad and some of the losses that you've experienced did not take God by surprise. God was not absent from that situation. As hard as it was and as difficult it was, that's what she's asking. Lord, if you would have been here, 
Martha's wrestling with it all. But even now, you know, in the present, even now, Lord, verse 22, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I, I know you're from God. This, it's almost like she's saying, I've got all these questions, but verse 22 saying, but I don't doubt you, Lord. I trust you. I know you're from God. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus responds, and he says, your brother, verse 23, will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, this is a profound statement on Martha's behalf because what it tells us is that her theology is straight. It tells her that she believes correctly. No doubt she's probably remembering Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, or Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, that speaks of a future glorious resurrection. And so her theology is straight. Jesus speaks truth into her life, and she responds in the reality of her theology. It matches what she believes. Can I just say, church, that it's important that you be diligent to make sure your theology is straight, that you believe in the one true God, that you are here open and ready to receive what God has to say because there will be a time in your life where your theology will be challenged by the circumstances of life. There will be a time where your belief will be put to the challenge. We saw it with Jesus earlier when he told us where are we going to build our house, on the rock or on the sand? And what was, what was the theology? You know, if you looked at the, the rock and the sand being our theological convictions and our beliefs, what was it that tested that? But the winds and the storm that did what? Beat on that house. And certainly death is one of those things. But there are many others. Crises and challenges that we will face that are overwhelming. We feel like the flood waves are over our head. There's no way we can possibly get out of this, and our theology has been changed. That theology that you grew up with as a little child when you were in Sunday school, when you came to church, even in those times when you didn't want to, when Sunday school teachers made you memorize scriptures, when your parents sat down and did devotions with you, when you got saved and you devoted yourself completely to the Lord and you learn about the love of God and you learn about the strength of God and you learn about eternal life and you learn about the blood of Jesus Christ and the new covenant and the grace of God, all of those things will be challenged in times of crisis. You'll begin to doubt what you believe. You'll begin to wonder where God is. It's a fact of life. That's why I encourage you. Take your relationship with God seriously. You just don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Turn over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as we head out today. Because Jesus is going to follow up with Martha telling her that he, she, he's the resurrection and the life. That if you believe in him, you won't die. He's talking about a far greater resurrection. Not just temporary, but eternal and while her theology was straight, he had so much more to share. But it's important, church, for us to be about our Father's business, not to dabble in things religious. And so what are we supposed to do? This is so cool because I shared this last night, and, uh, and three kids came up, three young people came up that are in high school that had a question for me after service. And, and what their question for me, and they, one of them was in, Ga in Grandview, and I think the other two were at Eagle Crest. Uh, so two kids at Eagle Crest High School, one at Grandview, young kids. They said, hey, pastor, I just want some help because we've started a Bible club in our school, and we, we don't know what to do. How do we do that, and what do we do? And so I said, first of all, be encouraged that there are kids taking it upon themselves to bring the influence of Jesus Christ into their school with their kids. That alone is awesome. That, I was so encouraged. 
That was our first time here last night. They, they were here. They were so patient. So, so I opened them to this passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that was already a part of our study. It was perfect for them. It was perfect for us because our theology does need to be in order. So what does that look like? Well, it looks just like this. This is what we need to be about. This is why we need to wake up. The, the time is coming, and the coming of the Lord is soon at hand. And so what are we supposed to be doing? Well, notice verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, where it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So they studied the Bible together. They also continued steadfastly in fellowship. They encouraged one another. They shared life together. They started, in our context of our church, you start meeting the people next to you. You, you maybe extend to them your email address or your phone number, and you start a relationship. You start praying for them. You look them in the eye and say, how can I pray for you? Are you doing all right today? It look, your face looks like you have something heavy. What's going on? And you begin to pray. You just lay your hand on them and pray for them right then and there. That's the body. This is your church. It's not enough just to come in and out. You know, you can do that, but you're going to be disappointed at the end to find, find out how many opportunities you missed to use your gifts and talents to love someone in Jesus' name. People come in here hurt and messed up, man. They watch online. You know, going back to what I shared earlier, I know when you email, it's serious. I know. I know when you leave them. I take them seriously. I know that there are hard things in your life. And I pray for you. And I pray that God would touch you and encourage you. And I keep pointing you to the Lord. We need fellowship. Not just talking about, you know, cars and football and coffee, but talking about the things of the Lord in each other's life. Not only that, but thirdly, in the breaking of bread. So I was going through with the kids last night, one by one, you know, Apostles' Doctrine and, and Fellowship, you know, get, the, get you guys. The last one is prayer, you know, start praying together. But I told them, I said, you guys need to take communion. And I said, I wonder if they'll let you do that. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. I told them, okay, so just understand. So if you're a principal at one of those schools, please put your fingers in your ears right now. Because I said, you just do, you have communion in that room until you get in trouble for it. So I told him, I said, if you're going to get in trouble, you might as well get in trouble doing something good than not doing something bad. And I said, we'll give, you the, we'll give you the elements. You know, we'll have stuff back there. We'll give you the elements. We'll give you the cups. You just pick up the juice on the way so it doesn't go bad. And you have communion right there in that classroom where evolution is being taught, where algebra and all the things that they need to know about except for evolution is being taught. And you just claim it for Jesus. Why? Because you're, you're the church and whenever you're in that room, you claim it for Jesus Christ. But I have to say, you pray for them. You pray for them because there's going to be a challenge. They're going to come up against a wall. They're going to have something happen where they're going to be tested on their theology. And you pray because every one of you, even you young people here today, you haven't made, you, at some point in your life, you're going to have a crisis of faith. Everything you've ever learned, everything that you've ever been taught, you're going to be tested on it. Somebody's going to hand you a joint and say, don't worry about it. God gave to us every herb of the field. Whatever, man. So not true. That's a gateway drug, friend. It's going to lead to more. Take it from people that have gone down that road, legal or illegal, it doesn't matter. The enemy's come to steal, kill, and destroy from you. So be careful. Somebody's going to hand you a beer. Somebody's going to invite you to a party. Somebody is going to get you in a vulnerable place and, and start, start disrobing, taking their clothes off, wanting to have sex with you, men and women. And you're going to be in that place where your faith is going to be challenged. What am I supposed to do? Well, hey, man, if you're in a very compromising situation, you'd be like Joseph. You run out naked if you have to, but don't sin against God. You hold to your faith. So when your crisis is there, listen, it's true for all of us. He said, you know, we read in Romans, not to be in licentiousness and lewdness. Like, 
Take your life seriously. Be careful. Don't take that drug. Don't take that beer. And I know I'm speaking to some adults now too. But you kids, it's not just going to be your parents' faith. You've got to make it yours, and it's going to come through a crisis. And for us as adults, as the crisis come, it reaffirms our love of Jesus. It's hard and it's difficult. It's dark days for sure. You can bring your questions to the Lord, but you've got to have your theology straight. I'm so grateful for my pastor, Jeff Johnson, who learned from his pastor, Chuck Smith, and who I'm also grateful for. By the way, Chuck Smith is in the presence of the Lord, enjoying everything that he taught us right now. So like he's enjoying it, and we're so thankful for him. He taught this to my pastor, Jeff. Pastor Jeff taught this to me, and now I have the privilege of teaching it to you, especially those of you in crisis. And Pastor Chuck would say something like this. When you face something that's completely, you just don't understand. It's just completely out there, and it's rocked your world, and you don't know what to do, and you don't understand why it's happening. You come to something that you don't understand, which we all will from time to time. It's very important at that moment that you learn when you come to something you don't understand that you fall back on the things that you do understand. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, I really like your closing statement. When you come to something you don't understand, fall back on the things that you do understand. Can you give us some examples of what that might look like? Yeah, Larry, this teaching came to us from uh, Pastor Chuck Smith. And, you know, as pastors, when we're taught, uh, we've gone through the whole Bible with Pastor Chuck, and we will receive insights and wisdom, and then they become our own. So this teaching really isn't just from Pastor Chuck, but it's become a part of my life that I live out and grow through by grace. And when we come to things that we don't understand, I think of pain, challenges, overwhelming senses of defeat and discouragement. We can't fall away from or just dismiss the things that we know. Uh, For example, when my son passed away, Eddie, and what a, an amazing young man. Love him so much. Such a tragedy, such a difficult story surrounding his life, and, and very hard, very difficult what happened to him. And when he died, uh, it threw me and my wife and family into a great difficulty, overwhelming. Why, Lord? And why him? And on and on the list goes. It would have been easy and it could have been an option that's to say, well, you know, God isn't good. Uh, what he says isn't true. But no, I need to fall back on the things that I do understand, that God loves me. He loved me when my son was alive. He loved me. He loves me now. He loved me when my son could speak for himself. And he loves me now when his voice was silenced and those speaking for him were not representing him. Uh, I, he, God loves me. He has a plan for my life. All things work together for good. I'm not going to throw away the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God because I have faced some difficulties. And and I know that many listening in, I know I used the illustration of my own life, but you have your own stories, don't you? And you need to remember that God loves you, has a plan for your life, faithful, reliable. Every promise of God is true in Christ. Uh, It's yes and amen. And you hold on to the moorings, you hold on to the pillars until the storm passes. And Don't throw away all that you know about God because you have a few things that are hard right now and hard to understand. And by the way, I'm sorry 
that you're facing what you're facing. Uh, it is hard, but the Lord is faithful. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And friend, what you just heard was part two of a message called God's Delays Are Not His Denials. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com, through the Calvary Church app, or by podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Each month, we pick out a book we think can really help your walk with the Lord and encourage you in the Lord. Today, we're pleased to offer you another excellent resource. It's a book by E.M. Bounds on prayer. Now, you might think of it as seven books in one, and it contains inspiring reflections on the power of prayer. It's broken down into short chapters, so you can read in bite-sized portions. It's a great way to start the day and an excellent addition to your quiet time with God. Request your copy of the book titled E.M. Bounds on Prayer today. To get a copy for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. We'll share another helpful message from Pastor Ed Taylor next time on Abounding Grace. We'll look for you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.